This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it on. He's up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the only podcast for every non-FBS team in Texas. We're back and we're kicking off the 2023 season with our second annual mega preview show which is going to include a realistic expectation for all 34 non-FBS teams. We're going to give you favorites for the Southland, SWAC, UAC, LSC, ASC, SAA, SAC, and SWJCFC. In case you didn't know, that's every conference in the state of Texas that is non-FBS. I'm Corey Hogue, the non-FBS insider for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find me on X, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Corey Hogue Sports, all one word, C-O-R-Y-H-O-G-U-E and sports. You can find my work at texasfootball.com. I am so happy to have joining me today, Riley Zayas, who is quickly becoming one of the foremost experts in Division Three athletics. Find Riley on X, Twitter at Zayas Riley, that's C-A-Y-A-S-R-I-L-E-Y, one word, in addition, Riley operates TrueToTheCrew.com, which is the source for everything Mary Harden Baylor Athletics. Follow his work on X, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at TrueToTheCrew, all one word, T-R-U-E-T-O-T-H-E-C-R-U. And if you're a Crew fan, you already knew that. And check out his website, TrueToTheCrew.com. Riley, I... I am so excited to have you joining this podcast. I, I just feel like the listeners are really going to gain a lot from your expertise of the Division Three level, and then you include some of some of my expertise with the FCS and the the D two and, and NAI. And I I think uh, I think we got this state covered now, man. I think we'll make a good team. Uh, we both bring some some different backgrounds to the table, but. Yeah, it's, it's so cool for me to have the chance to talk about something I'm passionate about, which is promoting small college sports. I mean, you and I were talking a few minutes ago off air, but Texas has so much talent across the board. And that is certainly the case of the Division II, Division III, NAI, JUCO levels. Uh, it's it's such a cool opportunity to be on this show and just be able to, to cover small college football the last few years uh, here in this great state. Uh, it is, and we're going to do this, and we're going to look at, hey, if you've got interest in this, let us know. We're going to be reaching out. Absolutely. There's a possibility we continue this into basketball season. So for those of you who might want to hear some basketball talk once once football starts to die down a little bit around November, December, look, basketball kicks up. And if you didn't know, we win national titles in, in this state in basketball too, Riley. We certainly do, and we have a lot of – even as I look, you know, I'm a, a pretty big basketball guy as well. And looking ahead to the 2023-24 season, there's a lot of national title contenders here in this state that are just getting practicing and getting ready to go. So, yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about, uh, not only through football season, but also hopefully through through basketball season as well. Hey, and I think it's a great time. We'll go. We're going to mention this a lot, but you you said 
you are working on a book, which I think is fantastic. And, and tell us a little bit about kind of the process behind it, where, what you're looking at and, you know, about how long it might be until we're able to, to get our hands on something like that. Absolutely. You know, a couple of years ago, when I first walked into the Maybelline campus there where Mary Harm Baylor plays their basketball games, I was kind of struck by this, this feeling of, you know, there's such a cool aspect of the division three level. And, you know, so many coaches choose to coach at this level. So many players choose to stay here when they have opportunities to go elsewhere to the other levels, because it is a unique experience to be a division three student athlete. Um, to my knowledge and through a lot of research, no one has written a book on division three basketball and, and kind of what it's like going through a season with some of these teams, the things that they go through and deal with, uh, but also just what makes it unique and special. And so my goal is going to be to promote that, just like we're doing with this podcast, promote the small college um, element of things and going to be doing that by traveling around the country uh, throughout the next two years, actually, because I wasn't able to get it all within one year. But there's so many great rivalries, uh, great historic programs um, playing at the Division three level across the country. And so that's really going to be the, the main uh, element of the book, if you will, is just to go through and talk about some of these, you know, Hope Calvin as one of the longest standing rivalries in all of college basketball, you know, regardless of level. And so it's going to be experiences like that, talking with some of these coaches and saying, okay, you know, what makes people love division three? And, and, you know, again, it's no secret that they're going to be playing in front of smaller crowds and smaller venues, but there is such a cool connection that you have as the reader and just as a fan with those teams and with the division three level. And so, yeah, that's going to be the the whole goal of the book. Hopefully uh, within a couple of years, probably, you know, like I said, two years of research and then, um, you know, we're going to be working on it as we go along. And so hopefully uh, here in a couple of years, we'll be publishing the book and uh, be able to promote it that way. So I'll be promoting it throughout as I, as I collect my research. So stay tuned and, and follow me for that. Yeah, no, that, that is awesome. And we got a, got a little head start last year. We were right, both at the right. women's final four. It was held at the American Airlines Center. And yes, it wasn't the 16,000 or whatever the full house was for division one. But you know what? On that Saturday, there were good crowds for both D3 and D2. And those games were early afternoon. And, and they, they had yeah. they had quite a showing. And they put on a good, a good show out there for us, too. They certainly did. That was a world-class experience. And talking with the players and the coaches there, I mean, it just – it gave so much validity to them as, you know, Division II and Division III student-athletes. And, you know, I know a lot of people were talking about it afterwards saying, we need to do this more. So hopefully – uh, the NCAA maybe takes that cue a little bit. And I think right now they've been doing it every seven years. Maybe we could get it to every five give or every four and give, you know, every student athlete that opportunity, you know, within their time in college to possibly play in an atmosphere like that. Oh yeah, definitely. So you look, if anyone's ever listened to me, you know, I have a tendency to go off script and uh, so I try to keep myself limited, and it is football season, Riley. We are, in, we are in the week zero. There will be junior college football across the state of Texas, and one other scrimmage is happening, a few other scrimmage, but one NAI scrimmage. Texas Wesleyan is having a scrimmage um, against an opponent. They're able to do that at that level, which I think right. is great. And, but we're going to get real game action. 
this week, starting Thursday in the junior college level. And we're going to break it all down right here. We're going to start with the Southland Conference, where I, I think Riley from the start, it, it's two favorites. I think you've got UIW, oh. Southeastern, and whoever wins that game head-to-head is going to have a huge edge in the conference this year. Oh, for sure. And that's going to be one of those games we talk about uh, across, you know, the state of Texas. And you even look at games like Maryheart, Baylor, Harm, Simmons every year, Trinity, Birmingham, Southern. Uh, but this is certainly one of those games where it a single game can decide the entire outcome of the conference and, and who wins that title. Because when you look at it on paper, it's just so hard to figure out which one of those teams is even going to be the favorite entering that matchup because it's, it, I really think it's going to have to be a wait and see approach to see how these teams open their seasons because there's so much talent on both rosters. And it's really making for an exciting, uh, you know, anticipation leading up to that one. I've got a piece coming out later today on uh, it, by the way, we're recording on Monday. So I, this will probably get released either a later Monday or on a Tuesday on texasfootball.com. Got a, a piece coming up on UIW starting quarterback. They have named Zach Calzada the starting quarterback that was done Saturday at their media day. And I, I wrote a piece about how he is the guy. He's not he, he's not Cameron Ward. All right. And he is not he, he's not going to be your Lindsey Scott Jr. He's not going to run the ball. He's not your dual threat guy. But what he brings you is a passing attack, a stability there. But and don't forget. Lindsey Scott Jr. threw for over 4,000 yards last year. He has an offensive line, right? They protected him pretty well to throw for that. So they're not going to need Calzada's feet. I think what he brings is he has dealt with expectations. He was a top 20 quarterback consensus coming out of high school, three-star out of Georgia. You know, he played at Texas A&M. He started at Texas A&M. He beat Alabama, Riley, for crying out loud. This guy... This guy's coming in with wins against Alabama. You know, he he has made he led them to a comeback win over Colorado the first time he stepped on the field when Haynes King got injured. So this guy's had the expectations. He's done this at the highest level. He's also he's also dealt with some things, right? He had a, a shoulder injury that he suffered against Auburn, transferred to Auburn, and then needed another surgery. That's why he didn't play. Everybody thought he was washed up. It's more of a health thing. So if Zach Calzada can stay healthy, I think this UIW offense is just going to keep humming. When they landed him as a transfer in late December, I think a lot of people, especially within the circles of the media here in Texas, really thought this is this is the guy. And, and as it turns out, he, he's going to be um, as they enter their season. You know, you look at guys like this sometimes who come off of seasons where they really couldn't play and, and – it does something to you where it makes you that much more thankful when you actually get the chance to get back down the field. It also, I think, you know, increases that hunger just to have the opportunity again. Again, you know, as you mentioned, Corey, he had the opportunity to start at AM and and he he knows what it feels like to be that guy who's leading a team to a lot of success uh, every Saturday. And so I think if, if he can come back after last season and, and kind of the, what he dealt with was his, his shoulder injuries, uh, he'll be a really key part of that offense. And, and he's going to need to be because, you know, Incarnate Ward, they obviously lose some guys um, both to the portal and just to graduation. But, you know, I think there's a lot to like about this offense, starting with Zach Calzada. Yeah, and he is outstanding. And then if if 
there's a reason why there were three FBS quarterbacks fighting to be the starter at UIW this year. And, and you also have Richard Torres who started at Nebraska as a, as a backup right there. So oh. if something un- were to be unfortunate in gosh, we hope not, man, Calzada has been through so much. I just want to see that kid succeed. But if something were to happen, Clint Killo at 30 years old, head coach, he is a UIW guy. He is he's been a part of this building the program for Merrick Morris. And so I I think he knew we got to have enough people. Like if you're just dependent on one quarterback, injuries happen. It's called football. And so having that competition number 1 is important and number 2 having that security behind because you don't want the whole season to go south just because of a quarterback injury. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the depth there is really important. You, you mentioned Torres and a guy who, again, Nebraska is a power five school. Uh, he has that experience. And I think when you when you look at players and guys who are going to come into roles like this, especially going from the FBS to FCS levels, the one thing you always want to look for is experience. It's one thing to just be on the roster. It's another thing to play and see that playing time and see what it's like in Torres' case to go up against the Big Ten uh, you know, defense. Yeah, I think you you look at it too. The crazy thing, Corey, I know you wrote this in your piece in the magazine uh, this fall, but you know, UIW's had three head coaches in the last three years. Like that's you don't see programs go through that and continue to have the success year after year that they have. But it just goes to show you how much talent they have, not only within their players but their coaches. Um, obviously, you know, uh, GJ Kin goes to to Texas State, and immediately they have a very high quality replacement for him, a guy who's going to have a lot of success, I think, in this program. I think so, too. He's been there. I think the key yes. is on this one. He's been at Eric Morris, a young coach, came to San Antonio. He was at Texas Tech as an assistant before that. Man, they caught lightning in a bottle with him. He came in and set the foundation, built the program. And when I talked to Clint Killo, of course, again, G.J. Kinney, man, I, what he did last year, he is he gets it. He is an impressive coach. Amazing. And and so the two previous head coaches are now coaching power five teams in Texas. I don't know that that eventually maybe, but right now I think Clint Killo is just, he's the guy. And I think he knows that this is not just a one year thing. And when I talked to him in the off season, he said, look, we built this up from the ground. Those guys who we brought in that were freshmen, they're now hitting their seniors. They're now becoming graduates. They've got a COVID year that they can use a lot of them. So you're, you're seeing that depth. And then he said, we just replaced transfer with transfer. Granted a lot of transfers. I think they brought in about 20, 28 of them somewhere in that range. That's a lot of transfers, but you're just replacing transfer for transfer. That seems to be the way college football is. I think that, that foundation they built is where we're going to start to see UIW take off this year. And so Riley, I would say we're going to give a, a, a realistic expectation. I think it's realistic for UIW to say they start at the top. I think their floor though, is probably the middle uh, this year. I would agree. I, I think maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic on them in terms of that. I definitely think that they're going to be a top three team in the Southland. You know, it's tough when you, cause, cause I just want to point out, as you mentioned too, when you have a guy who's been in the program, it's different than bringing someone who's coming from a completely different program, trying to come in and change the culture. 
he, you know, uh, Clint Killer knows knows how to run this program. He knows how to recruit here. Those are the big things. And I think the one thing I do like with the transfers is that there's so much experience on the roster that these are guys who know how to win. And in some of these tight game situations, like they're going to find themselves in, you know, they're, I don't think they're going to be blowing anybody out, but I definitely think a, a realistic expectation is a top three finish in the South on this year. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. So now we're going to get to a few other teams. Every other Texas team in the Southland has a new head coach this year. In fact, all four teams in the Southland Conference have mm -hmm. a brand-new head coach if you're in the state of Texas this year. Uh, you don't see that very often, and they're all for different reasons. Uh, just about, you know, yeah. there's a couple and we're going to get, we're going to get into them here, starting right off the top. We're going to go Houston Christian and, and their new head coach is a guy that you're very familiar with. He's got ties to Mary Harn Baylor. He's got ties to Howard Payne. He knows how to build a program. Braxton Harris is the right guy at a program that if, a, if they do a couple of things and they, if things start to kind of break, right. They, they get rid of the CVS. They start getting rid of some of these things that FCS fans can rag on them about. And then they start winning on that football field as well. This team, it, they're in a location, and they have a head coach and a coaching staff, by the way, very young and very enthusiastic. They could be a problem in the Southland Conference pretty quick. I would 100% agree with that. I had the chance to talk with, with Braxton. Um, a couple of months ago, actually, and you know, one of the things that you pointed out was Houston is such a great with green base, and they really want to tap into that. They're focused, you know, they, they know that they can go out and recruit a bunch of different places, but right there in Houston, they want to be sure to recruit those guys to a high level um, because there is so much talent there with, with the high school programs. And I would even contend, Corey, that, that there might not be a, a better recruiter in, in the Southland Conference than that staff at Houston Christian, starting Braxton Harris. And you just look, you know, what he did at Campbell and how he completely, I mean, the multiple top five, top 10 uh, FCS recruiting classes there. You know, he, obviously Howard Payne was a tough job uh, to take over, but he did recruit some talented guys there as well. He knows how to recruit. And so it might take a little while for us to see the results in the field. But once he can get in a few of these recruiting classes, I think we're going to start to see a different Houston Christian team than we've been used to seeing the last few years. I think you're right. His track record at Howard Payne took a couple years, and all of a sudden he had winning records, right? He had 500 records. He goes right. to Campbell. Campbell was not on anyone's radar for football at all, and all of a sudden at they're all. they're yeah. top five, top ten recruiting classes. He comes to Houston Christian, and I don't know if you've noticed yet, but, man, in 2024 they've already got a couple three stars lined up for 24 they are building it um this year i'm gonna say they're probably worst case bottom of the conference which is kind of where they're going to start anyway i think that we could see them if everything breaks right healthy look health is going to be the key for them and it's going to be the key for all three of these teams we talk about that's remaining in the southland because there's just not a lot of depth at any of these programs yet so they're they're going to need to be healthy uh, but I think Houston Christian, if healthy, could surprise some people and may find themselves up um, towards the middle of the Southland this year. I would agree. You know, going through their schedule, I think you can probably find a spot where if things break the right way for them, they end up with a four-win season. 
potentially. Uh, that's a big step for a program that, you know, won only one game last year and didn't win a home game. They're, they're, you know, it's going to be small steps, I think, this year. Uh, but if they can, again, in some of those situations, the depth is, is a bit concerning, especially when you get into the second half and get some of these teams that are really physical in the Southland. But I think if if they if things go the right way for them, they can keep their roster healthy. Uh, yeah, we can see them right trending towards the middle. And, and I think a lot of people can see what's on the horizon after that. I think so too, man. You then we head over to Lamar down in Beaumont, Texas, where Peter Rossimondo has taken over a program that uh, no one knows exactly why they're not better than they are all the time. Like they've got a recruiting area, they've got a beautiful stadium, they've got a lot. It seems now, Riley, they've got the administration aligned. They've got a president, an athletic director, and now a head coach that is positivity exemplified. He he understands. He understands about the little things. Again, man, he's very impressive with this. It's tough, though, man. Lamar is just a tough place to be. I think this year, I, I think when they start – I think they're a bottom of the team this year. I think they're going to need a lot to go right to get to middle. It is possible, though, and I'll tell you why. They weren't devoid of talent at Lamar, right? They When I watched Lamar, I, was, I didn't understand why they didn't win more games last year because you could see talent on the offense, on the defense. The offensive line's an issue. They're addressing some of that. But they do have some talent there, and I think with the mentality that Rosamondo has brought already, I think we're going to see an improved Lamar squad and those pre-snap penalties and, and lack of discipline penalties. I think those are going away as well, and I expect the Cardinals to win a few more games this year. Agreed, and, and you talk about Houston Christian having a young, very enthusiastic coaching staff. Lamar strikes me as a very similar situation in some of the guys that he's brought in there. Uh, yeah, the offensive line was a, was a big concern last year and, you know, may may still be a little bit of an Achilles heel for them. The one thing is, though, you look at some of the playmakers they have, guys like Tyler Jackson on defense, um, Kalan Griffin on, on the offensive side of the ball. There's a lot of playmakers there and guys who, if they can get the ball in their hands, especially offensively, can make a play. But it's going to take, you know, uh, enough cohesion and chemistry with the entire working offense, entire working defense to make some of those things happen. I think they probably end up as a bomb through team, the Southland this year, but again, there's a lot of optimism there that if they can bring in some of these recruiting classes, allow some of these sophomores this year to get that game experience, we could see them trending up towards the middle in the next couple of years. I think so. And if they can win a few games and kind of do a little better than expected this year and start to get some of those people on board in Beaumont, Man, it, the, the sky could be the limit for Rosamondo and the Cardinals there. Ooh, now we go to Commerce, man. And uh, I, I have a love of Texas A&M Commerce, the 2017 national champions in Division Two. What a great story, but, man, they're in FCS now, and this is year two of transition. Year one went surprisingly well. It went as well as I think they could have expected, then we've had a complete change almost at Texas A&M Commerce. You've got David Bailiff could, did not come to an agreement with a contract. Uh, you have a new athletic director there, and you have a new head coach in Clint Dozel. And, and look, Dozel is a guy who brings titles with him. He was an arena football coach with the Philadelphia Soul. 
Uh, he has won titles and won games everywhere he's been. There's not that much difference between the arena football and the 11-man football. A lot of the concepts, and this is something for those who haven't heard or haven't read yet, Dolzel, his cousin, is Dan Campbell, the head coach of Detroit. And so he was on staff with Sean Payton at New Orleans for years down there. And Dozel went to their training camps quite often. And were and they they went over some of those passing concepts. A lot of the concepts you see run passing game-wise in the NFL comes from the arena football and more specifically Clint Dozel, right? He's had that kind of a, a thing. So we know he's a good coach. Um I just, I, I'm worried right now. I, I know that their defensive staff is back. They've got a defense. But, man, I look at that schedule, and for a team that does not have a full set of scholarships yet, they haven't built the depth at FCS, man, it is brutal. And I'm, I'm my big concern right now with them is whether they can stay healthy enough at all when it comes conference time, because the, this non-conference man, and again, okay, I got to say this, this is one of those things. This is a little disclaimer for those who want to put the whole schedule on the prior AD and Tim McMurray. Don't do that. Right. I spoke with Tim during the summer. He told me he had every game set up except one. All right. And that one, he was trying to get an NAIA kind of a buy game. The other AD came in and set up Old Dominion. That's tough. You know, you could get a bye game. Instead, you get Old Dominion. I understand. But for a coach in his first year, a program going through their second season uh, of transition, man, that seems like a stack deck. Yeah, and I don't mean to uh, give too much to the magazine, uh, but if, if you haven't picked one up, you need to pick it up. Uh, you have a good piece in there, Corey, about this whole thing. But I believe Dozel had Dozel had said that they're not getting money to play Old Dominion, which is normally the case. Mm-hmm. And and so you you factor that in too. It's like okay, well this isn't this isn't even anywhere close to what we wanted. To be honest, when you look at the roster that comes back, some of those guys they do lack depth. I think there's some talent there, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but. The schedule is just so tough. I mean, you go from a schedule that they had last year where it was very winnable, some very winnable games. That's what you'd expect out of a team in transition. Now they go to 10 FCS opponents, obviously, then Old Dominion, uh, that one FBS opponent. UC Davis is a top 20 FCS team. You know, they open the season with them. It's just, it's going to be a really, really uphill battle for, for Texas A&M Commerce. And so I think that's why, you know, I, I see them as a bottom team in this Southland uh, just because they they're going to play a really tough schedule and they probably aren't ready to play that schedule. Not because of they don't have enough talent on the roster, just because of the point where they're at in the transition process. They're not built right now to play a full FCS schedule like other teams who are more established at this, at this you know level in the division. I'm with you. Look, last year they had one of the best defenses in FCS. Statistically, they had one of the top defenses in FCS. I think that defense is still middle to top FCS, but overall as a team, I'm going to put them right on that middle edge, but they're really teetering the bottom uh, in my opinion to to start this year. And uh, you know, I'm, 
I'm hopeful for the best. And I know that Dolzel is a tremendous coach. And one thing I do know about the Lions is they're going to fight. They're going to put out everything they can every week. They're going to fight. Year two is always the hardest year of transition from what I've told from coaches who have done this. And so I expect this year to be a a tough year for the Lions, but keep faith. Good days are ahead with, for that program. Uh, With that, with that Riley, we move over to the SWAC. We're going to the Southwestern athletic conference where the conference favorites, no surprise, Jackson state, and Florida A&M, the Tigers and Rattlers are the favorites. But I got to tell you, man, in the West, when, when you look at the SWAC West, you have a whole group of teams that, to me, are pretty darn even. Southern, Prairie View, Texas Southern is in the conversation now. You have a really wide open West division. And the winner of that, it's not Deion Sanders anymore at Jackson State. Florida A&M doesn't have one of the best defensive players in the whole world right now. I think this could be a year the West comes in and gets a title. It's yeah, I mean the door's wide open. Uh, you know, for for one of these teams to come in and kind of seize the opportunity. There's a lot to like about you know both Purview A&M and Texas Southern. Um, which crazy is we're talking about Texas Southern being competitive for that West title. And yet they haven't had a winning season since 2000, but it's it's certainly a, a notable um, thing to to look at it and say, well, there's a lot of parity here. There's a lot of talent, and, and there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about both Prairie View and, and Texas Southern's, uh, you know, yes, best case scenario for this 2023 season. Definitely, and we're going to start with Prairie View. And look, <laughs> I first off. All I, Riley, just going to give this away. Next week, when we come in with our week one preview episode, right? Corey is headed to the Labor Day Classic this year. I am going to be in Houston, Prairie View, Texas Southern. I will be there. That game is huge for both teams. It gives you a leg up to start that conference race. Texas Southern, Andrew Body, we'll get there in a second, but we're talking about Prairie View. And when you talk about Prairie View, you're talking about a team that didn't quite reach where they should have last year, talent-wise. A lot of that was inconsistency. And Bubba McDowell is looking for that consistency this year. And um, it it was interesting. I want to just a little inside baseball. When I talked to him for the magazine, He told me that he was probably going to rework his entire defensive backfield in the summer in the transfer portal. And that man did not lie. (laughs) He went in and got a whole new defensive backfield. I think he's feeling better about this. And so I'm going to put the Panthers, I'm going to say they're at the top, but if they're inconsistent again, they haven't solved it. They're going to go to the middle very quick, especially in a league, in a division with so much parity. I I come to the same assessment. I think, it, you know, I, I really, really like when you sit down and you look at what they bring to the table with the transfer this summer, uh, you got a guy like Caleb Johnson who comes in as a running back from Mississippi Valley state uh, who, who obviously has been proven to, to have success in the past there's a lot of things to like with the experience on this roster guys who really know again, how to win how to compete. That's invaluable right now, especially uh, in the era of college football, where we're seeing so many guys in the transfer portal 
people moving around. It's it's really notable to be able to bring in and have a bunch of guys who, you know, whether they played at Prairie View or they played other places, they have experienced and know it feels like to have success. But again, they struggled to finish a lot last year. They struggled with those inconsistencies, especially late in games. That hurt them uh, quite a bit. I think, you know, if, if they can figure that out and win some of those games they lost last year because of miscues here or there, uh, we could see a, a very, very successful season with Prairie View. And uh, I think, you know, the ceiling is obviously them them winning that West title and, and uh, you know, finding a way to, to put some of these wins together. Uh, but again, the other thing too, with the Labor Day Classic, you, you talk about, I mean, it's going to be a fantastic game. It's interesting to have one of your bigger games just from a rivalry standpoint in week one. I mean, it's, it, talk about getting into it right away. Like these teams are going to have to bring their best Texas Southern, especially who we're going to talk about in a second, right off the bat, and and that's going to be really interesting to follow that game and see how both teams kind of uh, approach it, I guess, uh, based on the way last year played out and all of that. The great thing is they do this almost every year. Almost every year they, they meet yeah. right around Labor Day. Uh, it, there have been times throughout the rivalry that it hasn't, but it's always been right around like week one, which makes it that much more thrilling because you really don't know about each other, right? You don't have tape yeah. or any of that. Uh, but what you do have, you have a preview A&M team. We know they're good. We got a Texas Southern team that we would never have said this a few years ago. There is a chance that they could be, they could win the West division. There is a realistic chance that Texas Southern, what Clarence McKinney has done there is just incredible he is big on this offensive line. This offensive line came in. Most of them started as freshmen. They are no longer freshmen now. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I think he's going to be outstanding with it. I think that um, I think Andrew body now that he's a junior, we know how dynamic Andrew is as a quarterback on the field. Uh, I think I'm going to put Texas Southern in the middle to start with, just because I, I'm more of a prove it to me guy this year. When it comes to these teams last year, I was more of a, I believe in you this year. I'm more prove it. So I'm starting them in the middle, but this is a team that could win the West division. That's fair. And I think we'll find out real quick kind of what this Texas Southern team looks like. Um, some of the pieces that they brought in, but even look at a guy like Michael Akins, uh, who's down there as their defensive end. Fantastic last year um, as a, as a rusher. You know, we're going to see some of these guys, I think, who took steps last year. Andrew Body is another one. Uh, take a, a bigger step, I think, and establish their names a little bit more within this conference, which will be exciting for that program. They obviously, as you alluded to, Corey, haven't had a ton of success for quite a while. But this seems like the year where it's all coming together at the right time. You know, you have the experience, you have the talent, and you have a wide open West Division. Like, it, it all lines up well for Texas Southern to really make a run this year. But I would also start them in the middle and see kind of how those first few weeks play out uh, before elevating them to the to the top, if you will. I agree. And I think week one is going to tell a lot because McKinney's really, really happy. He thinks the receiver core is a lot better than it was last year. And if they can provide some hands, catch the ball, Andrew Body, if he's given some time, and even when he's not, he can make a play happen. Yeah, I think yeah. we could see Texas Southern – do outstanding things it is time to head over to the united athletic conference the conference that is we're just gonna say run by oliver luck I, they don't call him commissioner 
right? As an executive director, whatever they want to call it. Whatever the title is, Oliver Luck is there. You have the combination of the A-Sun and WAC. And so you've got conference favorites, and you talk about a wide-open conference, and you talk about a tough conference. Favorites this year, Eastern Kentucky, Austin P, Central Arkansas, Stephen F. Austin, and Abilene Christian. Literally, Riley, any of those five could win the conference title in the automatic bid to the FCS playoffs. That's what makes it so exciting, right, when you enter some of these, you know, conference races where we're sitting here in the preseason and saying there are five or, or even, you know, in some cases six teams that have a shot at this. I think the other thing that's going to be interesting is that it's such a national conference. I, I don't know if people necessarily realize until they actually look at a map you have all across um, you know, the, the country from Eastern Kentucky, obviously down here uh, to, to the Texas schools. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see how these teams handle number one, the travel, but also just, you know, the dynamic of, of being in a, a new conference and, and all that. But yeah, there's a lot to be excited about when you have so many teams with the talent capable of winning the conference title. And they got my excitement moving early when they had media day, July 14th at Texas live, because that is the best idea I have heard of anyone so far. I'm a big fan of media day at Texas live, and hopefully we could go, we could get a lot of people there and run a big show from it next year. That's kind of the hope right now. We keep going there. We're going to start with Abilene Christian, the Wildcats, you know, Keith Patterson. Second year, his first season was a massive success. They played for a WAC title. That is not something anyone expected in Abilene. And, and that's just a precursor to what Patterson wants to build there. Uh, the thing is, what I, I still, year two, we still talk about depth. That is a real concern at Abilene Christian. They got a lot more transfers in. Maverick McIver has done well. Scrimmages have gone well. I think they have the talent. They're going to need the health. I say if they remain healthy, they're at the top of the conference fighting for one of those spots um, at, at, for a playoff spot. We could see the Wildcats. I, I see probably worse, uh, best case scenario, conference title. I could also see them have a playoff a playoff berth and that large berth. If things don't break well, I think they end up at worst. They're probably middle if they have a lot of injuries and the season goes south. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, you bring up the depth, and and that's obviously something they tried to correct a little bit. I mean, they went out and they, they have, you know, when when they announced their signing day class, they had five of their seven transfers were from the Power Five level. Uh, they've obviously, I think, gone out and gotten a few more over the course of the summer. We're not always sure how some of those guys are going to fit in, especially guys who didn't really see a lot of playing time with the previous schools. Uh, but but I think you do look in, in some of these returning you know, guys and, you know, guy like Maverick McIver, uh, who was, was really talented, you know, last year. And I think when you start to look at this Abilene Christian team, one thing that sticks out is that they have some playmakers on both sides of the ball who have a, an ability, I think, to make plays on their own, but also get everyone else involved. They're good leaders. Um, that's one of the things that stuck out to me watching them a little bit last year. Yeah, I think this is a team that if everything breaks right, they could finish at the top of the league. They went three and one last year, um, in, in, you know, in conference play. And obviously this year it'll be a little bit of a different schedule, um, some different challenges. Uh, you know, they they play some some bigger schools, some FBS schools and non-conference. But when you start to look at what their schedule is going to look like in conference, 
I think this is a very winnable schedule for Abilene Christian. Watch the defensive line, Riley. Yeah. What that's where if that defensive line is bigger and better, uh, and and deeper, I think that could be the key. That was one area last year, one area that Patterson focused on. He knew they needed more depth and more size on the offensive line. A team that should be there. We're not talking about health. We're not talking about depth. We're talking about a team that should be at the top, should be challenging for a an at-large playoff berth at worst and the conference title. That's Stephen F. Austin. Now, Colby, I love you. I'm not trying to place too high expectations on you. I'm not saying you're top 10 in the country. I don't believe Stephen F. Austin is there. There are question marks this year. Again, another new defensive coordinator, a lot of new staff, not as much staff. And I think the reports coming out of there are that they're fitting together better as a unit this year. And for a team that overcame all those other challenges last year to win the WAC, if they if they don't start with some of those challenges, winning the A-Sun is definitely a reasonable expectation. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, I think, a very reasonable expectation when you look at, number one, what they did last year. I mean, they're the reigning WAC champs. But you also look and, and say, okay, you know, you, you talk about coming together and bringing guys – they're, the experience in this roster, I think, is what makes me and, and some others really excited to watch this team uh, because they have played together. And I think that's a big element when you have guys who have worked together and, and done that over the years. Uh, you know, they, they'll play some big games and they'll get you know a team like Eastern Kentucky um, you know, at home November 18th to close the season. That's going to be a big one for them, I think. I think that's one to circle on your calendar if you're looking at big games. Uh, because there's a good chance that, that it could come down to a game like that for Stephen F. Austin to really claim this title. But I think they're going to be in the hunt the whole way through. And, yeah, there's there's high expectations there uh, for, for SFA. Speaking of high expectations, we move on to Stephenville, Texas, where expectations are enormous every single year. And that happens yeah. when you have a 24,000-seat stadium that you've just completely redone over the last few years. The expectations are high. There are a lot of people unhappy, or some people, not a lot, some people unhappy with the fact that they have been one of only just a few teams, including North Dakota State, if, if you've ever heard of them in the FCS level. Tarleton's one of the few teams, along with them, to have posted a winning record through the first three years of transition. What Todd Witten has done is incredible. It is amazing. He believes he has his deepest team yet. He believes he has his best team since their Division II playoff days. If they do, I could see them fighting to break into that top three, four, five. It's a hard conference. I mean, that's that's it part is. of yeah, it. It's yeah. such a tough conference. Um, you know, if they don't, I still think with the – Tarleton's never been more than just kind of really middle or less. And that's there in transition. So yeah. I, I think putting them at the middle would be the bottom. And I think if, if this is the team that Witten believes it is, they could be at the top. They have just as much a chance to be contending right there at the top as anyone else. The other thing is too, with, with this team, I think we're going to find out how good they are pretty early on. You know, they get, they play Southeast Louisiana on, on September 30th. Uh, that's going to be a good test for them in, in our conference. Obviously, we talked about 
Southeastern a, a few minutes ago as one of the top contenders in the Southland. And, and so I think this Tarleton team, if, if everything comes together the right way, um, like people there around the program are talking about it becoming, you know, this is going to be a team that's going to compete with the, the SFAs and Eastern Kentuckys and Central Arkansas's uh, throughout the course of this season. You know, I think middle, as you said, would be the bottom. I mean, I think, uh, I think they're going to be a lot better than that. Uh, it just will be interesting to see how they fit into everything. One or two results could easily put them from second to fourth or fifth. Um, but I think, you know, again, it, they've done some really impressive things the last few years and building on that is going to be a big deal this season. I think the expectations are very high for good reason there in Stephenville. Man, I, I agree with you. And now we move into a conference that used to be known as the SEC of Division II, and it's not quite at that status. It's not as deep. There's not a, you know, the loss of Tarleton and Commerce has really hurt this conference, but the Lone Star is still a talented conference. It's got some talented teams. I think your favorites at the top, you have to go Angelo State two-time national quarterfinalist, you know, that they're the team to beat. Uh, Central Washington is right there with them. We're going to focus on Angelo State for a second because you're talking about a team that, yes, twice, back-to-back years, they have been in national quarterfinals where they lost to Colorado Mines. They get Colorado Mines earlier again this year. By the way, people, Colorado Mines had a coaching change. Okay, Angelo State did not. Now. Everybody wants to talk about the four All-Americans that Angelo State lost. I, I understand. Four uh, Those four players are outstanding players. Some of them have gone on to Power 5 programs at North Texas and others. Some ended up at, a, at another D2 institution. I do not believe in ragging on college athletes. Right? They don't get paid. They don't deserve for me to rag on them. I'm not going to rag on them. But I will say this, some of those guys that transferred out were really being pushed for their job by other players on the roster. This is a talented, deep roster. The losses that hurt could be along the offensive line and defensive line. But if Jeff Gersh has proven one thing to me, it's that he knows how to recruit those two positions. Man, I, I every time I talk to him, this guy just he is bought in and he has me buying in. I there's a lot of people, there's some ASU alums. I know they're 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 they want to believe it, they want to see it first. I think they're gonna see it. I think Angelo State's a team that is the top of the conference. I think they are the champions again this year, and I think they're back there threatening, and this may be the year they take that step into the national finals and hopefully to McKinney in December. And that would be a perfect thing, right? To be able to play right here in their home state. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing because they went 9-0 in the Lone Star last year. And I really, really think even with, you know, Corey, you mentioned, I mean, they, they lost some, some key players and people have talked a lot about that. But I don't think they've talked enough about the guys that they're bringing back. And I really, really see them going undefeated in the conference again. I, I know there's some challenges out there but I just don't see anyone that's going to be at their depth level uh, to be able to, to compete with them for a full four quarters. This is a thing you talk about a lot when you start to look at these matchups is, yeah, there's a lot of teams out there that can compete for a half or for three quarters, but it's those late game situations, you know, can they hang with them? Do they have enough stamina? 
and and just the depth on this roster is really really incredible. They've recruited so well, and they haven't just recruited well this summer and gone out and get guys in the portal. They've recruited for the last few years to build up to this, where they have juniors and seniors who are are easy you know easily able to step into these spots and and fill in those roles. And so I think that's why there's a lot of hype around Angelo State this year is because they there is that realistic expectation they could take that step and go all the way to the national title game. There's a lot of wry smiles. Like, yeah, we lost four. We know. You know, like we lost four yeah. All-Americans. It's kind well, of that wry smile, like, hey, you, you just watch out. Well, and you may use that too to your advantage. You know, people are are overlooking you in a way. And for a team like that, that always seems to have a target on its back, it may help in some situations to be able to have some people who are doubting you a little bit and have a reason to say, you know what, you know, they're not thinking, you know, versus coming in with these high expectations and, and having to look at it as everyone's, you know, coming after us, you can say, okay, well, there's some doubters out there and, and let's go try to prove them wrong. There were no doubters last year. So Gersh is going to enjoy the fact he can use the doubters with his team this year. No doubt. He is a good coach and he knows, I bet you he's been telling them that a, a team that, is probably a little upset. Some fan base, some fans listen to this. You might be upset we didn't mention Texas A&M Kingsville as one of the conference favorites. Listen, there is a lot of unknown around this team. Uh, what Michael Salinas has done there is is a, is a known. He's a great coach. The alum coming back, building that program back, and they won their first seven games last year, but they lost their last five. And I think. I think depth, again, we, we go back to this, but he's only had a couple of years there. His first year was was the COVID year. So that doesn't really count. The whole roster has changed. So I think this is really his third year. I think we're another year away from seeing Kingsville having that depth to remain at the top. I think they could be. Health-wise, if things play well, Jacob Cavazos does well at quarterback, they're going to be at the top. I could also see if things break bad, they could end up even at the bottom because I just think depth is such an issue right now for the Havilinas. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty wide range there uh, that we don't see with with all of these teams that we're talking about. Where you know if things break the right way, they could be contained for the conference title, but if they don't, they could be right there at the bottom. But that is certainly the case with a team like this who we're not entirely sure. There's some, certainly some question marks, some wild cards there. Uh, the one thing is Amos Coleman, you know, obviously preseason defensive player of the year, probably the best defensive player in the conference, at least when you look at defensive backs. He had five interceptions last year. I think he can really cause some havoc for, for opposing offenses. It's going to be important for them to, to, to really utilize their defense to their advantage, I think, against some of these explosive offenses within the LSC. Uh, I think that's going to be a big key for them. If they want to compete for the top, the defense needs to be there every single week. Oh, I agree. And I think now's a great time to point out that you could catch our interview from Republic of Football with Amos Coleman at the Lone Star Conference Media Days on the Dave Campbell's YouTube channel. And you can also see us there. If you don't, if you want to just see Riley and Corey talk instead of just listen, hey, YouTube, that's the place to go. Dave Campbell's YouTube page. This will be uploaded there. Now I'm changing, I'm changing this up just a little bit here. I'm going to go to Midwestern State. We're going to my hometown of Wichita Falls. And I'm changing my prediction. Live on air, I'm changing my prediction. 
I I have a lot of concerns for MSU. I'm not exactly sure where to put them, to be quite honest with you. I'm going to say they start in the middle. Middle by might be their max this year. It, I don't know that it's a bottom year, though, Riley. Like, this just seems like one of those years where Bill Maskell works another five and five type of season. The biggest issue is at quarterback. Uh, they right now they haven't named a starter. Uh, there have been a few that have been doing different. I've been at both scrimmages, I've seen different quarterbacks working with the ones. Uh, Carson Roper, who was in the spring game, he's one of those guys fighting for it i'm just not seeing i i'm looking for more decision making from their quarterbacks i'm looking for more confidence from them and without a quarterback you don't go far they've got they got receiver talent they've got depth at receiver but you got to have somebody get the ball to them the offensive line is smaller they're really more athletic and that is a concern for me when you play those teams like in angelo state a central Washington that are big and physical and run the ball. So the size of the offensive line and defensive line is a concern for me. They have, I think the defense is, is solid. I think they've got a, some depth back there, secondary question marks. I I don't know that I can move MSU anywhere from the middle right now. It, it just, I, I don't see, I, I, I don't see someone stepping in, taking over this offense and pushing them to the top just yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, you know, and I trust you too. I think it's one thing to look at things on paper and kind of see how things are lining up. It's another thing to get a live look at them, which you've gotten the chance to do. And that's really valuable uh, to finally see how a team kind of looks in person. Um, it can give you some good indications that you might not get when you're just looking through 2022 stats and, and you know, just 2023 roster and stuff along those lines. You know, you mentioned another good thing with the, with the O-line is that, you know, they have a good running backs unit um, coming back, some guys who, who have proven themselves, have some playing experience, but they're only going to be as good, I think, as that O-line is because in order to have uh, the consistency in the rushing attack, you need some, some production to the offensive line to pave those, those pathways and, if they don't have that, I think it's going to be some long days there, especially if, if they can't throw the ball as effectively as they'd probably like to. And the defense can only hold you up so long before you need to score some points. And I think that would be the big concern with, with MSU right now. Uh, one thing I've seen, they can run the ball. Like you said, they they've got running backs. They can run the ball. They can get three, four, five yards a carry. The problem is if you can't throw the ball, the teams are going to put nine in the box on you and you're not getting – uh, three, four, five yards a carry at that point. So that, you know, I, I really think the key is going to be a quarterback. And I will also let you know that one of the quarterbacks that is battling for the starting position is yet to appear on their roster and does not have any tape after, after high school. Right. So not saying he's not because he's talented. I see talent, but you know, there, there is that haven't played. What do you have? What do you bring? How are you going to handle up under the pressure and the speed of division two? I have some concerns. I have some concerns from uh, uh, MSU right there. So now we're going to move over to a couple of teams who have amazing new head coaches. Both of them. Both of them are really excited about their new head coaches. And uh, I think that they have good reason to be. 
We're going to start out in the Permian Basin where UTPB has Chris McCullough. The guy is the, you name the under whatever age you want to name for one of the top coaches and Chris McCullough is on that list, whether it's under 30, under 35 or under 40, he makes them all. He, he did a great job at East care at East central in Oklahoma last year. It was a uh, tremendous what he did there. And he was, he brought a lot of that with him. And mainly he brought his quarterback, Kenny Hernser. Kenny Hernser is with him. And I'm putting the Falcons to start with at the middle. Because again, I said this year, I'm all about prove it to me. That seems to be like the theme for me with teams. Prove it to me. You're in the middle. But I do believe UTPB could end up towards the top. They were not without talent. Justin Kerrigan had talent there. The defense had a lot of talent. That defensive talent mainly stayed through the coaching change. So they've got a good defense. You put bring a lot of those offensive guys over. They heck, they took Texas AM Kingsville's defensive line coach with them, right? Like they're they're coming in and they're making some waves and they plan on letting you know they're serious uh, about competing up there with the Angelo States and Central Washingtons. Are they there? Not yet. Prove it to me. Do I do I see a scenario they could be? I do. I really do. I, I think there's a chance. He didn't only bring his quarterback with him either. He brought that, you know, he brought uh, Essentials Lane Russia with Namir Herod. Um, also Laquan Wells was the top receiver there. There could be a good you know quarterback receiver combo there uh with with Hearns here and 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 Wells. So yeah, there's a lot to like on that offense. They're gonna score points. I I, I think that's gonna be a given. Um, I want to see how the defense looks, if they can really keep the opponent uh, off the board. Uh, You know, they're going to need to maximize their offensive possessions, I think, if they want to have success. But I totally think finishing above 500, um, maybe a six, seven win season. Six wins seems more ideal uh, and more realistic. I I think that's certainly in the cards if things break the right way for them. And these transfers who, who, again, played under Chris McCullough can come in and immediately step into those roles and, and, you know, fit within the system, which I think they will. Uh, but, you know, time will tell with, with that aspect of things. Time to head out West to the Buffaloes of West Texas A&M. They have a gorgeous stadium. They've got Bain Schaefer stadium right there. They have got all the facilities. They've got everything you need. Things didn't break well for Hunter Hughes last year. Things went south at a hurry towards the end of the season. We got a new head coach in Josh Lynn. And let me tell you, he has brought excitement. He has brought belief. He has brought hope. He's also brought realism. For a fan base, I'm I'm a kudos to the Buffs fans. You understand that that Josh Lynn's not just going to come in and take you to the top right away. But I do think middle of the Lone Star Conference, maybe even upper middle of the Lone Star Conference is very possible because we've we've seen Josh Lynn. He coached at Eastern New Mexico, Nebraska Kearney. He's been around. We we know what he can do. He's going to go a, a guy who's triple option concepts. He ran the, the triple option flex bone at Eastern. He is 50-50 run pass. And, and it's going to look different. But the offensive line, the concepts of it are still the same. And uh, I think that's going to lead to a a a good year a solid year for west texas and i think that's going to build start building that momentum for a team that 
Lynn makes no no bones about it, Riley. He's there to make them consistently a top 10 team every year. Yeah, and I think you certainly have to like those expectations and, and goal, um, especially with a first-year head coach. You brought up, I mean, they have a fantastic stadium. I actually haven't ever gotten the chance to go up there for a game, but from what I've seen and talking to people who have, I mean, it's a great place to recruit to, right? Like, it's it's rural, uh, but the the fan base around there, the stadium, it, it's, it's really going to be a good place that I think they can bring in some transfers. They can bring in some, some talented high school players. And I think in the future, that will really serve them well. Uh, for the, you know, here and now, uh, I think, you know, they open with a tough matchup. Western Colorado is not going to be an easy opponent. Uh, but, you know, the, the experience and the talent, the roster is there. Some, some key guys come back defensively. Uh, you know, this seems to me like a, a really solid middle team. I don't know if they're ready to make that jump to the top at all. Uh, but I think in, in the future, if they can start to lay that foundation this year, things could start to, to go more towards the point where we're talking again about them contending for the Lone Star tile like we were a few years back. JT Cavender. He is an amazing linebacker. He, he is. is going, he is incredibly and incredible, incredibly fun to watch. And he is back after his elbow injury that, that ended his season last year. But the one that raised my eyebrows a little bit and I said, okay, Josh Lynn is, is he's coming in to do this, right? Was Noah Bogartis. He had entered mm. the portal. He recruited Noah to stay and Noah's happy and the team is pretty happy because Noah is a dynamic wide receiver. They're going to get the ball into his hands. They're going to have a passing, more of a passing attack. You're going to see some focus on that. You you said it's rural, and I, I love that because it is, but it's not. Right, it is if you're right. in Canyon, it feels that way, but you're only just miles from Amarillo, which has everything you need. So when you look at what the recipe, the facilities – that they have the stadium you get to play in. And then if you got people that like the small town feel, we got Canyon. Right. If you right. like the big town feel, you're not far from Amarillo. You could go up there. You could get that mix of guys. I, you know, I really, they have everything they need. It's a matter of putting it all together. And I'm with you, man. I think Josh Lynn is that guy that's going to put it together. It's just going to take him a couple of years. And yeah. Yeah, hey man, it's time. We're t we're heading into Riley's Riley's area of expertise here. We're going to the American Southwest Conference, and no, we are not talking realignment. Okay, that will be a different episode. It will come at some point later. We are not getting into all that right now. Uh, go to TexasFootball.com, TrueToTheCrew.com. You'll catch up on what's happened in realignment over the last few years. But we still have a big conference this year, Riley, and the favorite begins and ends with Mary Harden Baylor. And I, I really don't know that they're. I want to put Harden Simmons in there with it. I, I just don't know. I, I think Mary Harden Baylor is by far and away the favorite to to win the auto bid for the ASC this year. Yeah, and, and I think you you look and you see teams that are consistent year after year. Obviously, a lot of the talk is UMHB losing Kyle King, who is one of the best quarterbacks in program history, um, losing guys like K.J. Miller and Brandon Jordan on the receiving front, Alfonso Thomas, their talented running back. They lost a lot, especially on the offensive end, um, coming down on the defensive end. Uh, but they always replace that with 
town and and there's guys who are coming up and yes there are some question marks but i think they'll have those figured out uh hard simmons is is tough too because they did lose some guys and you know last year obviously it seemed like it was a little bit closer maybe than this year and so i think that's part of where that you know where you're coming from where i'm kind of coming from is that you know hard simmons certainly can compete um but i don't know if they're if they're on that level, but again, it, it's tough to know right now because there is a lot of unknowns with both of these teams who see, you know, are, are consistently at the top of the conference. And so we really got to have to wait and see how the season openers go for, for both UMHB and Harden Simmons before I think making an official assessment. Now, last year, for anyone who might remember, I created just a tad bit of a stir when I picked Harden Simmons to beat Mary Harden Baylor. I was wrong last year. I'm not doing it this year. And I'm not saying it's possible, but I am going to go back to the game when they played each other last year. And if Harden Simmons can ever catch the breaks, like last year, they just, they, it was self-inflicted slash crew inflicted right at the end of the first half, a couple of turnovers, Crew did exactly what you're supposed to. UMHB took it, made took advantage of it, scored touchdowns, blew the game wide open. It was over there. Harden Simmons can't let that happen. They've got to create a couple of those turnovers. And that's why I put UMHB as the favorite. Plus, we're breaking down categories. National title favorite is UMHB. I don't put Harden Simmons at a national title favorite right now until they show, a eh, prove it to me. Right, they got to prove to me that they are that kind. But as we talk about them, and I've talked with uh, Jesse Burleson uh, quite often during the off season, he thinks they've got a really solid team, and I think so too. They've got an offensive line. There's been some changes on the offensive line. I think if you want to point to a question mark, some of that could be there. But he's an offensive line coach, so I'm not really too concerned about the offensive line. They got their quarterback back. They got the running back back. They have a lot of defense. They're missing a few spots, maybe a wide receiver here and there, but they still are a team that not only are at the top of the American Southwest, they're a team that if those, if they create those breaks against Mary Harden Baylor, they could pull that surprise and they're back at home this year. Well, and that's the thing they're playing in Abilene for that game, but, more importantly, you know, Jesse Burleson did a press conference uh, last week, I believe. And one of the things he was asked about was the offensive line. He said, you know, a lot of the guys that will be seeing significant playing time this year starting on that line came in last year as freshmen, not really expecting to see the field much. And because of injuries and other things, ended up getting on the field and, and taking a lot of snaps. And so while it does look young with, with several sophomores and guys uh, on that line, there is experience there. You know, they 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 got their reps in last year as freshmen, which, you know, is tough to do. Making that transition from high school to college is very, very tough. If there's a spot for me that, that I think there's some concern, it's that wide receiver. But I'll tell you, I mean, their running backs unit comes back. Miles Featherston and Colton Marshall might be the best one-two punch, you know, of any backfield in the ASC. I mean, they just are, are fantastic. They complement each other. Um, they have different skill sets slightly, but uh, both kind of, work together to get the job done. And it's nice to have that depth where you have two very quality running backs who, if we're being honest, you know, either one of them goes somewhere else, um, you know, 
both will be starting, you know, if they weren't at the same school. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's not as much about the reps for them. I think as much as just contributing uh, to, to that offense. So there's a lot to like about the Harden Simmons, you know, offensive front, but also defensively. I mean, bringing back a guy like Matt Mitchell is, is invaluable. Um, the experience he has. So yeah, it'll be interesting year in the ASC. I think with teams like that and some, some wild cards, certainly at the top. If the running backs take onto the ball. That was a problem against that was a problem last year. Yeah, that was a problem. So they're gonna have to hang on to the ball. We're gonna run through the rest of the conference here pretty quickly. Uh, Austin College, new head coach Tony Joe White comes over from Birmingham Southern. Riley, I think uh, he is a, a great coach. I think that Austin College will become a team that, as they move into the Southern Collegiate Collegiate Athletic Conference next year, that's going to help them. But they're a few years away. Uh, but they got the right guy. But this year, I think they're going to be at the bottom of the conference. Agreed. I think uh, last year they, they pulled off the upset of ETBU. Other than that, there wasn't a whole lot to uh, cheer about from that side of things. But Tony Joe White did a great job building the program at Birmingham Southern. He knows Texas well. He can recruit here. Uh, yeah, there's. I think Austin College is a few years away. Um, obviously, going to a new conference is going to help. But for, for this year, I think they stay competitive in games i don't think their record reflects that in the way that maybe it should i i agree you mentioned the tigers we're heading out to marshall texas where east texas baptist has a new head coach calvin ruzica who by the way is from the joey mcguire coaching tree and is a reminds me a lot that personality he is he is dynamic he is a good person he is great fun to talk to and i think he's a good head coach I just feel like the Tigers are – that there still needs some talent. I, I felt the talent went back the last few years under Brian Maper. I think Calvin is going to need a couple of years to build that back up. I, I think we see the Tigers in the middle of – I see them at the middle. But if things if things are a little better than, than I think they are, which honestly they very well could be, I could see ETBU – being up there above Howard Payne and, and competing with Harden Simmons again. Yeah, and I don't know if that's going to be something we see this year necessarily. We'll we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, but I think the big thing last year, they were so good defensively. They were top three, or they were third, you know, best in the AC against the pass, second best against the run. The defense was there, and that was why we thought, several of us, that ETB would be competitive with, with Howard Payne. And I certainly think that's the expectation again this year. Um, last year just didn't work for them, especially offensively. They couldn't really move the ball uh, enough to to generate points, and that's what ultimately hurt them. The defense played pretty well, but couldn't hold up. The depth maybe lacked a little bit there. But yeah, I think there's a lot to like about the the new coaching change and 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 what Calvin Ruzica has brought to the program. He's enthusiastic. He's excited about the future, and um, yeah, there's if you're an ETBU fan, the optimism is certainly uh, here in the next couple of years because they're building this rack. They are, and they love Coach Rue, and, and we all love Coach Rue. He is fun to talk to. You mentioned the Yellow Jackets. We go to Brownwood with Howard Payne, and they also had a coaching change. Oh, real quick, on the ETBU, the defense you mentioned that was so good, that was that was Coach Rue. He was defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator, yeah. Speaking of defensive coordinators, over in Brownwood, Kevin Bachtel is now the head coach taking over for his brother, Jason Bachtel. And they are two separate head coaches. I just want to make that clear right now. This is not, it's a transition. There is a part of this that's a transition. And they, 
They are two separate guys. Jason moved on. He's now offensive coordinator at Houston Christian with Braxton Harris, a great hire, by the way. You want an offensive mind. But what Kevin's done with that defense at Howard Payne is just incredible. He's been outstanding with it. I still see them at the top of the conference. I I don't know. I'm not going to put them at beating a Harden-Simmons yet. I, I could put them challenging a Harden-Simmons and giving Mary Harden-Baylor some trouble at times. Landon McKinney might be the best quarterback they've had here within the last decade or, or two. Uh, he's just so so dynamic when it comes to throwing the football. They, they need to take advantage of, of having him for one more year, and I think that's why if there's a year – especially offensively, this is the year. Now, obviously, they lose Otis Lanier, who was so, so good um, in the receiving game. But uh, there's a lot to like about what they bring back. I know uh, Jason Bachtel said, or uh, Kevin Bachtel said the other day that, you know, he feels like they're a little bit further ahead um, than maybe he even expected they would. Uh, they scrimmaged Cisco last week, and, and apparently that went pretty well. So, yeah, I think Howard Payne could certainly, certainly pull off the upset. There's always that chance with this team, they're, they're good, they're competitive, they work really, really hard, um, and they want to win. And, and they're going to be playing Harden-Simmons uh, September 30th in the AC opener, so that'll be a game to be paying attention to in Abilene. Oh, I'll be watching that one. I will have that on, no doubt, at least following along if I'm on the road somewhere else. We head back to Abilene to McMurray, and the Warhawks had a down year last year. I expected a little more from Jordan Neal. But let me tell you, Riley, there's a few things that there's always things that we just don't know, right? That we find out later. This roster went through a change when Jordan Neal arrived. They had a complete redo of the roster. I think he had about 40 guys left. Well, he only had like 40 left after COVID. COVID completely ravaged the Warhawks roster. It took some time to rebuild. Jordan thinks this year they're a little better. I'm still putting them at the bottom, but I do actually see a way that they are back up in the middle and, and very respectable respectable in the conference again. Yeah, I think last year felt very uncharacteristic for McMurray uh, because you know Jordan Neal has been around that program so long and done so much uh, for for you know the Warhawks uh, year in year out. They've always been kind of one of those middle tier teams. I think the SCAC will fit them well. I think they will be competitive in future years, and I'm sure that's exciting uh, for everyone around that program. They got one more year in the AAC, and I think they want to make the most of it. Uh, you, know, you you look at some of the matchups they have. There, there's some some winnable games on that schedule, uh, especially in conference play, to where I can totally see them in the middle. One thing that I will point out, I only see four quarterbacks on the roster right now. Um, don't see either one of the guys who took the majority of the snaps last year. So that'll be something to be paying attention to and in, in the way that the quarterback situation plays out for the Warhawks in Abilene. I think quarterback was one of the issues last year too. They they didn't necessarily receive the best quarterback play. And as always, there could be a couple that are not on the roster yet. That happens here. Uh, rosters exactly. <laughs> rosters yeah. don't get complete until right at week one. A roster that Win a complete redo last year, uh, had a very successful turnaround season. So Ross, and they're in their last year, Division Three before they head to the Lone Star Conference in Division Two. Coach Barry Derrickson did a great job last year with them. They return a lot, they lose a lot. Um, I'm starting them in the middle, and I'm making another change here. I'm not putting them – I don't think they're going to make it near the top. I think they're they're pretty much 
a middle ASC team as they finish out their Division Three tenure. I would agree, and you know, certainly was was glad to see that they you know improved a little bit last year. Uh, that's a tough place to recruit to. Like, you know, Alpine might be one of the toughest jobs that anyone can take, uh, especially within the state of Texas when it comes to college coaching. Uh, so he's done a really good job there, and I'm I'm glad to see that. But I do think that they're going to be very much a military team. Uh, I, I don't see them reaching the level of Howard Payne, UHB Harden Simmons this year. They do bring back some some talent receiver. Uh, so I think they can get, again, quarterback situation. If they can figure that out, um, get a reliable quarterback in there and, and, uh, and you know, get the ball to some of those receivers, they can have some success. But they're going to be playing a mix of D2 and D3 teams. So record-wise, it might be a little interesting as far as their overall record and within ASC play. Uh, yeah, probably a, probably a middle-tier team for, for now. We move on to Texas Lutheran and Coach Neil LeHue. I, I'm just going to tell you right now, Riley, I don't know what to think. I really, honestly, I don't know what to think of the Bulldogs this year. I think they could be okay. I think they might not be okay. I don't really know. I don't have a good read on the Bulldogs. What's what's your take on TLU? Yeah, they, you know, this is kind of the way I felt about them for a couple of years now is that there's games where it looks like they're the favorite and they don't end up pulling it out. They lost a couple of close games last year, but then there's games where they end up winning. And one of the things that um, I do remember seeing from them is that they, their offense is very efficient. And, and, you know, Seth Cosme, the quarterback comes back. He's very experienced. He knows how to run the offense. Uh, they they have flashes of success. You know, one of the things that they've done a lot to, to beat teams offensively is they, they rely a lot on screen passes, or at least they have been. Uh, in past years and short passing, moving the ball field uh, consistent rate. And that's, that's led to success. You know, that's one of the things that I think if, if they're going to win some games this year in the ASC and stick in the middle of the conference, I think middle of the conference, I don't think they're a bottom tier team. In my opinion, I think they're a middle tier team. They're, they're going to need to move the ball, but they're also going to need to play quality defense. I think it's where they were hurt a lot last year. They could put points on the board, but then they'd allow too many or they wouldn't score enough. Uh, offensively. So, you know, they, they need to kind of get the offense and defense on the same page a little bit more, I think. And, uh, you know, admittedly, I haven't seen them in person yet. I know they're scrimmaging Trinity, I believe, uh, here in a week or so, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what to expect from the Bulldogs down to game. They are, they are scrimmaging Trinity this weekend uh, here because we are that close to the start of the regular season and we move into the Southern Athletic Association and, uh, I put a second team as a favorite just in case Trinity stumbles because Trinity, in my book, is by far the odds-on favorite. But if they were to stumble, I would give Barry the team that's maybe there to take advantage. Uh, but the Tigers, Riley, they are national title contenders. And I, I mean that. Like I, I, I'm not going to go quite with putting – trinity ahead of umhb in the poll as some did and i can understand why and i think the coaches at umhb would go yeah okay well whatever right but would use it they play umhb week two that could be a preview to a playoff game also could determine home field it is it sounds very weird to say but week two could be a game that determines which team from Texas makes it to a national title. Yeah. If you're looking for a game to go to on September 9th, get down to San Antonio, because that's going to be 
a huge game. And the other thing is both teams, Maryland Baylor and Harmson are and uh, Trinity open the year with some really tough matchups. I mean, you, you look in Trinity's going up to St. John's, who is one of the historic programs in Division Three. UMHB is going to play River Falls, uh, Wisconsin River Falls, one of the top offenses in the WIAC. Uh, so both these teams will be coming off really tough games. It's going to create for an interesting matchup. But as far as Trinity specifically, what Jeremy Urban has done down there is just been incredible. I mean, you looked at the, in 2021, they, they made their run, barely got into the playoffs with a couple of close wins, um, almost shocked UMHB and Belton in the first round. Last year, they beat Harden Simmons in the first round, lose to UMHB in the second round. They've been right there, and, and they've been fantastic uh, year after year. Tucker Horn comes back at quarterback, and he is – uh, again, a, a fantastic playmaker, a guy who you're going to want to keep your eye on because, uh, again, he's he, I think he's a contender for National Player of the Year. Things go the right way for Trinity. He can throw the ball so effectively. Um, B.J. Stewart comes back there and it gives him a reliable option at receiver. Um, they have Caleb Harmel on the defensive end. Everything seems to be clicking for Trinity this year. They got the experience on the roster. They got some of those fifth-year guys. This is the year I think if Trinity's going to make a run, it's, it's going to be in 2023. The pressure is there because this is the year it has to happen. The in the years past, there was always we well, we have next year. We have you don't have next year. And I I I think that urgency might be something that pushes them, or that urgency can knock you down. We will see that as the season goes along. And pretty sure Riley's gonna be there on September 9th. I know. I will be there on September 9th. We are not missing UMHB Trinity in week two. Another team left the American Southwest and is now in the SAA, and that's Southwestern. I think it was a great move for them to go over to the SAA. I think they fit well in there. And uh, I think I think Joe Austin is going to have a team that um, they have a quarterback back. They have a, they have a linebacker back. They're brothers, by the way, those two. <laughs> and... Uh, I just see Southwestern fitting in so well. They could be middle of of the SAA, and and uh, I mean, in a couple of years, with recruiting with having been in a conference that's not against national powerhouses all the time, with Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor, I, I think he's I think he's building in the right direction for a couple of years to get towards the top of the SAA. Yeah, they traded a conference with two powerhouses for for one, uh, going from uh, UMHB and Harden Simmons to, to just Trinity. But after Trinity, there's a lot of of room there in the SAA to really make a run. Uh, and you know they get both Trinity and Barry at home this year. That'll be a plus for them. Uh, there's some playmakers there on both sides of the ball. You know when you start to look and see, okay, who's who's actually coming back for some of these teams can really give you a good indication of of what it might look like. It's been hard the last few years because Southwestern has won some games. They've been a little bit inconsistent. But part of that has been just the talent within the ASC. And not saying the SAA doesn't have the same level of talent, but I think Southwestern has been building. I think some of that has been overshadowed by the results in the field against the UMHBs and Harden-Simmons. When you get into the SAA, a new conference, new atmosphere, uh, we could see Southwestern really improve on, on last season, and I think with some of the key pieces they have coming back, the the you know there, there's certainly potential for them to be you know top four in the SAA at the end of this year. I think so, and like you said, the SAA there there is really something to be said about aligning with a conference 
where the teams you play against are similar in focus on both academics and athletics. And I think that's where they're at. And I think Southwestern athletic programs as a whole through the whole department is going to benefit from this move to the SAA. We move into the Sooner Athletic Conference, NAIA, and we have teams to talk about here, Riley. We have a really good team. They're one of the conference favorites, Texas Wesleyan, and they're Ottawa, Arizona. All right, that team, Mike Nesbitt, former head coach at West Texas A&M, well-known in Texas. He's the coach at Ottawa, Arizona. He has built that program into something that is – they're tough. They're tough to beat a playoff contender. And you want to know something else? The Rams are a playoff contender. Joe Prudhomme at Texas Wesleyan has done a fantastic job. And now they move home. They're building a stadium on campus. It's going to be a few years away still. They're playing at Crowley ISD. That's soon to be announced. They're going to be playing at Crowley ISD for their home games this year. I think that right there combined with just – the talent, man. Prudhomme has got some talent. They got a lot back. They were close last year. They feel like they should have been a playoff team. They have a very, very tough schedule, but very winnable. This is a team I could see going undefeated and into the playoffs in the regular season if they're able to win a couple of close games late. Well, that's the question. How much did losing out on that playoff bid really motivate them uh, over the course of this offseason? They get Ottawa in the season opener, uh, which will be an interesting matchup right out of the gate. Can debate whether it's best to play your, your top conference rivals right out of the gate or late in the season. I know coaches who would, would take both approaches. Uh, but, yeah, you looked off. It should be really, really good again. I mean, you, you look in, in guys coming back uh, – like Ernest Caesar and 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 uh, and and you know just so many pieces of this team that were there last year are going to remember how close they were and and that they were right there knocking on the door and I think this year we could certainly see undefeated season from Texas Wesleyan which would really really I think give them some momentum heading into the playoffs. Uh, it's one of those things where you get rolling, you you, you know you, you can go however far you know you're your momentum allows you to go. So I think uh, Texas Wesleyan could be in for a really, really big year this year with just some of the pieces they have coming back and certainly a, a positive for a program that feels like it's been building towards this for several years now. Well, it has. They rebirthed football in, I want to say, 2017 or 2018. Right, which and, is impressive for a newer program. D- yes. <laughs> I mean, look at UT Permian Basin. They also started their program uh well, maybe a couple of years even before that still. And, and yet, what? so what Texas Wesleyan has done to build the depth needed to get to this level, that's the thing that I'm most impressed with. Joe Prudhomme is doing a great job, and I am all about being in Fort Worth for a playoff game in November in the NAIA. Some other teams, SAGU, Southwestern Assemblies of God, they're starting their second season under former Dallas Cowboy uh, Greg Ellis. Ellis is a defensive guy. He came in and turned that defense around right away last year. Uh, after spending a year at Texas College, he's got a whole nother season. He doesn't have Keaton Dudick back. He lost his running back. That's a problem. Uh, I'm putting Sagu in that middle, but hey, look, Greg Ellis showed last year. Don't doubt him. They could be towards the top as well. 
Yeah, and we're starting to see a lot of great defensive minds uh, are really leading their teams to a lot of success as head coaches, uh, especially across the state of Texas. Uh, but yeah, Saigu opens their season, I believe, against Howard Payne in, in Brownwood. Again, not a you know an NAIA matchup for them, but it'll be a good indication of where they're at because we just talked about Howard Payne and how good Howard Payne's going to be. Obviously, once they get into that you know that schedule and into conference play, I, I just I think there's a lot of optimism around this program for good reason. We saw what they could do last year. Now, you know, with the foundation set up a little bit more, uh, I think there's potential to, to go on a little bit of a winning streak, especially as you get into the middle portion uh, of that conference slate. Texas College, man, Tyler, Jarrell Jackson, what he is doing out there with the Steers is, I mean, it's God's work, man. This guy has taken over a program that was just absolutely devastated during COVID. Uh, Greg Ellis had it for a year. It, it just, it's a tough place. It's a tough program, but he is, he is turning that. He is turning that program slowly. We're not seeing it this year. The Steers are likely to get be bottom again, but they're better. That roster's gone from 40-something players to over 100 players. You get more talent. You get more competition. He's <laughs> – poor guy had to go searching for a defensive coordinator just a couple of weeks ago because of, of something that happened to the other defensive coordinators in the family, an illness. Just devastating, right? But he didn't care. He's got another one in place. This is a – the Steers are a team that, yeah, they're at the bottom. But, man, I finally have hope for Texas college for the future. Yeah. And he's really just taken over a lot of different roles, head baseball coach this past spring. Uh, you know, he he's, he's willing to, to, to be there for this, this entire athletics department. And I think that's really notable. Um, it's tough when you're in some of these spots where, it, you know, a lot of programs have been like this over the years, but where it's just really, really tough to win. There isn't that precedent for success. But I think he definitely has a, a vision and a goal for this program where he wants to take it. And he's putting the right coaches in place to start to begin that uh, process. So, yeah, keep an eye on, on Texas College for the next few years. It's going to be a slow rebuild and, and slow build up. But I think we could see them right, you know, competing within the conference here in a couple of years when they finally can get some of these recruiting classes together and start to build a little bit more within that program. Look, the key is scholarships. They had no athletic scholarships uh, for years at Texas college. And now he's gone out and got some partnerships and some sponsors and they're able to use that money for scholarships. And then on top of it, he got an equipment sponsor that's giving them jerseys and everything else. Like he is doing the things that the players are going to go. Coach is putting in the effort. We're going to put in the effort. I'm with you on the steers. Another team in Texas with another new head coach. Another theme of this offseason was head coaches. That's Wayland Baptist, and they have Marcos Hinojos Sr. The guy is – he – I'm just – here's the expectation, all right? I'm going to say I'm starting them at the bottom and prove it to me. Like I've been saying this whole podcast, prove it to me. But I'm going to tell you what he – has told me to expect. He said he will be disappointed if they're not right around 500 this year. And for Wayland Baptist, I can see that happening. I could see them being in the middle. I need them to prove it to me, but I think they've got a man that the right man to lead that team right now. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, he definitely brings in some, some good expectations. Uh, it's important, I think, to set those expectations, especially for a team that comes off two and eight year 
Last year, I mean, it just felt like their their offense wasn't scoring enough. I think they averaged about 21 points per game. In fairness, they didn't get a lot of opportunities to do that. I, I felt like in you know, a lot of those games, they just weren't able to really get as many possessions as they probably needed to stay in those games. The defense allowed 42 points per game right around there. Uh, so the defense is really going to need to step up. And I think that's going to be the key. If, if they have a good defense that can contain teams, I think the offense is going to be able to be there. I, I think they do have some talent uh, across the board w- within that group on that side of the ball. But if they they just need to keep teams off the board and and doesn't have to be shutouts, just under 20, under 30 points. And, and they might be able to hang in some more of these games that they lost last year just because it was – you know, other teams ran away from them by putting together a few really, really good offensive possessions. Some would also argue that the offense didn't produce enough, too, like you said in the beginning, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it was Just a team it, effort. The whole yeah, team didn't exactly. do well last year. And that's why Butch Henderson is out, and that's why Marcos Hinojos Sr. is in. But he was also a defensive coordinator last year. So he got to see that from the inside, and he truly believes that the culture around that program has already changed, and he's already seeing it move in the right direction and for a guy who's around it every day look i think that's great i think uh i think we're gonna see better play out of the defense i think we're gonna see better play out of the offense and and hopefully they end up uh in the middle like like they said they would well riley we get down to the to the last but not the least conference southwest junior college football conference you want to know one that could produce a national champion every year that's this conference also one that I have no idea who's going to win this conference every single year. Favorites this year, I'm going New Mexico military. You won the national title two years ago. You're a conference favorite two years later. Trinity Valley, every year, conference favorite. Kilgore, Willie Gooden does amazing things out there with the Rangers. They are also a conference favorite. But there's some teams even to watch out here. You've got Blinn. Blinn, the home of – they're tired of being known as the place where Cam Newton just went to school. Ryan Mahan is ready to take that team to the next level. And other coaches around have said he's got a lot of talent. If he can maintain it, this is the problem with Juco, man. They get the talent. They have spring ball. FBS and all these college coaches come and watch their spring practices and then take their kids before they get to the summer session. So it's so tough. And so you go with the coaches that have tended done it over and over again. Uh, Blend is one of those we know Ryan can. He can put them up there. I'm putting them uh, middle to top this year. Uh, what are your thoughts? I want to kind of get your thought. Kilgore, I've got them at the top. Uh, Trinity Valley, I have them at the top as well. Interested your thoughts on those three there, Riley. Yeah, and I would just note real quick that I have a ton of respect for junior college coaches across the board, whatever sport it might be, because uh, because they're in this position where they're always having to recruit. Even if even if bigger schools aren't coming and taking people off the roster, like you talked about right before, it, it certainly does happen like that. Just the fact that they're you know dealing with two year players and it's constantly you know you're trying to build, but then people are leaving because they you know they're they're the junior college hoping to get you know opportunity at a bigger school at a four year school, so you. You know, they're going to go if they get the opportunity. So you're always recruiting. And it's just a tough, tough thing because you you, you have trouble kind of putting together teams where you have a bunch of returners coming back. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, my thought on, on a team like Trinity Valley is I think I just I like their offense. I like what they're going to be able to do on that side of the ball. 
Um, you mentioned they're they're a contender every year. I, I think it, it'd be foolish to to say anything otherwise because they've certainly um, established themselves enough. You know, when you look at a team like Berlin, I see them being closer to a middle tier team. But again, you know, some of those pieces, I you know, I haven't haven't seen a uh, a good roster yet to really give give an indication of how much return talent they have. But I think. Uh, Berlin is certainly there. They can bring back some of those guys who were freshmen last year and who stepped up. Uh, you know, Kilgore, I mean, uh, what what they were able to do last year, I think it, it could really parlay into some more success this year. You mentioned, I mean, it's tough to live. When, when you have a good player like Cam Newton come in, like it's tough to escape that image a little bit. But they have guys who are establishing themselves here and who are going on to bigger and better things at these at these FBS schools. And so – yeah, I, I think uh, you know Trinity Valley to me though. I just I continue to go back to them because to me they are the favorite to win this conference. I don't know if it's far and away because I think there's certainly some teams that would uh would you know disagree with me on that front. But I think if you're looking for a team to, to put your money on to to go deep in the in the postseason, it's going to be Trinity Valley this year. Nobody wins this conference with less than two losses. Right. Just it's just not going to happen. But that doesn't knock you out of a chance for a national title in JUCO either. And I think that is also important. And this is also the point of where I will say multiple times, if you've ever listened to me, you heard it, you're going to hear it many times again. JUCO is the best football, is the closest level of football to FBS that we have in the non-FBS. The talent is there, and by that, go look at some of these teams pages on Twitter and you will see exactly how many people they retweet that are playing in the NFL that were at these JUCOs. The talent is unreal. And those teams have it. Navarro's a team that has had it too. Navarro, they got Dane Jens, right? Yeah. I mean, he's pretty well known at Grandview. He did pretty well. If you like state championships and stuff, I, I'm a little interested. The Bulldogs are so up and down and so inconsistent. I've still got them kind of being inconsistent this year in the middle. Another team, Tyler Jacobson out there, or uh, <laughs> Tyler Junior College with uh, with Jacobson as the coach there. Th- this team is this team's incredible, and the Apaches are going to be tough to beat. They have offensive linemen that are, are some of them are are off to the FBS colleges. Others will be after this year. Uh, as long as they can, some of them are grades, some of them are not. Another thing too, it's not always grades with JUCO, especially during the transfer portal. Um, and they're used to that, by the way. They don't want to hear your complaint about the transfer portal. They deal with that all the time. Uh, but they're also, they also have used that portal to go get some of these high school kids that are fringe FBS pro- prospects and turn them into it. So maybe that's something that some of the other colleges could use is, is kind of get with some of those JUCO colleges and figure some things out. Uh, again, I digressed on that one back to the Apaches. I've got them at the middle things turn, right? They stay healthy. They go to the top Navarro middle, but again, man, I can't take them out of the top. I, can, I don't, there's only one team on this. I could take out of the top spot to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. The other thing too, with, with junior college, what you often find is that, you're not going to know how good some of these freshmen are going to be. And then they end up just going off for a fantastic year. And they're one of the best players in the conference. So it's hard to know sometimes who some of these breakout stars are going to be and who's actually making up these rosters because every year, it seems like we, we find a guy who's like, ah, 
you know, he kind of a diamond in the rough type player who ends up going off to an FBS school and having a lot of success. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Navarro's just been, the, the inconsistency is tough, I think, to project. Uh, but I think it makes it tough because you, you don't have a good baseline to say, okay, this is what they've done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you go through and you start to say, okay, well, you know, like a team like Tyler, yeah, if, if things break the right way, they certainly have the talent that roster to finish and win that title. Um, Tyler is the one for me that I think out of those two, Navarro and Tyler, I think Tyler has the best shot to to go make that run at the top of the league. We got one team left. Hey, just think of this real quick, Riley. In a couple of years, it's going to be 26 teams when UTRGV gets added and then we get Shriner. Uh, we're going to have 36 teams, which is even 36. better, right? Because what's yeah, better than yeah. 34 is 36. Uh, we're going to finish with the Cisco Wranglers. And this is a team that you and I are a little familiar with this head coach. They got Stephen Lee. He was the offensive coordinator at Mary Harden Baylor. He was, when he got there is when they started winning some of these national titles in recent years. He went to Abilene Christian for a year. He is now the head coach at Cisco. It's going to take him some time. Cisco is a program. They, they had a couple of transitions here recently. I believe he's the third head coach in the last three years. There, there's been a lot of that. Give him a couple of years because he's a guy that I think once he figures it out, he knows football. Once he figures out this kind of Juco and, and gets that roster built, uh, they're going to start threatening some of those teams at the top of the conference as well. Well, just look at that 2021 UMHB offense. I mean, how good they were, how effective they were. They blew out North Central in the national title game. Uh, yeah, he knows how to, especially not just offensively, though that's kind of been a specialty, but, but he just knows how to recruit well and how to bring in talented players and then how to make everyone kind of fit together. Um, that UMHB offense in 2021 was very cohesive. Uh, I think that's one of the things that led to their championship success. Yeah, if he can get things going in the right direction at Cisco, start to establish some consistency, uh, we could see we could see them kind of establishing themselves uh, within the top of, of this league. I have Cisco at the bottom, but they're not going to be there same, for long, in my opinion, here, yeah. either. Riley, we did it, man. You survived the mega preview episode. And I think we've gotten this done in, in under two hours, which is quite incredible with me because I, I have a tendency to go off script. So uh, thank you, sir, for, for joining us this year. Looking forward to it, man. We're going to have a great year on this podcast. We will. It's going to be fun to, to talk about. There's a lot of games I'm already super excited about. Um, yeah, it's it's finally football season. College football's back, and it's the best time of the year. So, yeah, I can't wait for, for more of these podcasts the next few, next few months. Well, we're going to be back next week. That will be our next episode. We're going to we're going to change it up. Instead of reviews, we're going to do more previews. I think uh, just myself, I believe that people are more interested in what's coming up. By Monday, they've already moved on from what happened over the weekend. So we're going to focus more on the later in the week kind of a, a podcast show with a preview and, and go that route. I think that's best. Sounds like a plan. Now there's gonna be a lot to lot to preview. Certainly some exciting games coming up week one. We have a big slate coming up week one, week two, and week three this year, and it's only gonna get better. We want to thank you also to the listeners and the viewers. If you're watching us on the YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. Until we meet again, stay safe.